I'm delighted to be here for the last occasion among people who walk, who walk and work toil in the vineyard of the Commonwealth. Some of you I met when I was High Commissioner uh, that long ago. And I take this occasion to thank all of you for your loyalty to the Commonwealth, your belief in it, your support to it, and uh, for uh, uh, the suggestions, advice which I've always received from you, which I valued greatly, and you above all, Peter, whenever you write to me, I read that very, very carefully, and I learned a very important lesson not to make too sharp distinctions between the old Commonwealth and the new one, when you told me that actually the preamble of the UN Charter was drafted by Commonwealth leaders. Um, SGs may come and SGs may go, but you go on forever. <laughs> so you, you are the real, you are the real Commonwealth veteran, and uh, no doubt you'll be reading the encomium to the next SG here in a few years' time. But you asked me to speak for about 15 minutes. I must say that whereas I always try and, and speak for a short period of time if I can, uh, that is not an instruction I'll probably be able to observe. I've never spoken for 15 minutes in my entire life, except perhaps in my sleep. <laughs> so maybe 20, settle for 20, 25. Don't be frightened by these sheaves of papers. What I've done, this is about other stuff. What I've done is that in the car on the way here, not to go on and on in a stream of consciousness way. I've just written down 10 points, which I think are worth making on an occasion like this. The first one is that in Malta, we saw a real effort at Shogun reform. I had worked with this with Prime Minister Muscat very closely, what these elements could be. The communique is shorter. It's not a Christmas tree where you can hang whatever you'd like to see dangling from it. It's still longer than people want it, but in the, in the real world, it's less than half of the size of the previous communique, and that's very good. The retreat is one day retreat, and that's a good thing because having it spill over into Sunday morning very often meant loose ends and an absence of pressure on the heads to come to a conclusion about everything they've been discussing while they are still there. When people start planning departures on Sunday already, level of retreat, very important, either heads or senior. Um, cabinet members authorized by them to take decisions on their behalf. And this was a very important thing because many heads told me in Colombo, this is just slipping we're way away from, from, from an acceptable limit. One of them told me, I actually see an official who was at the official levels meeting, who's been given uh, one day's ministerial status, and they're sitting there. So the documentation, the leader's statement, is what the leaders discussed. It's not encumbered. There's all kinds of that goes into the community, which is, which is attached. Much more space to civil society, civil society in the meeting with foreign ministers. Foreign Minister of, of Malta, George Vela, told me 
The session he found the most useful in the entire Chogam was with the civil society. And he says the first time he heard people he doesn't normally hear, who are well-wishers of the commonwealth, and I learned a lot. He says the others are here all the time. The big lesson for us that was a successful thing to build on. And the documentation from the forums and the other documentation, even the, uh, the organizations that met foreign ministers, it's all part of the official documentation of Chogam. I think these are great gains uh, moving forward. The second point is about the evolution of CMAG. Um, CMAG is an evolving body. It's not a very old body. It has a lot of very useful gains to, to its credit. I'll give you one example. After Pakistan was readmitted, into the Commonwealth, I got a foreign minister of Pakistan came to see me. And I welcomed him. I thought, you know, you're going to discuss Commonwealth. He said, I've come here only for one reason, SG, to convey to you thank you for suspending Pakistan. Because that meant that under the military regime, no matter what spin was being given, the need for governance, the need for order, the need for stability, People weren't buying into it, because if the Commonwealth wasn't buying into it, the people felt, we don't need to do that. These are level-headed people who work with values, who have a goodwill at heart, and they have done it. There must be a good reason. So he came to thank me for doing that. So one shouldn't say that the CMAG's role has not been very clear. But one thing became clear to me when I took over, and it is a fact now. The CMA cannot run because some member state is getting a glare of adverse publicity. That cannot be the rationale for the creating of a body that is going to sustain your values. So I told the foreign ministers, what we need to do is to ask the heads, to ask us to lift our game and to be very precise about what is it that you want us to do. Because the time will come when you won't be discussing Nigeria, you won't be discussing Sierra Leone, you won't be discussing Fiji, or and you look like you're putting people on a dock all the time. This is not why you were created. You were created to create real value strengths. So that's what happened. They asked us to do it in Perth. We worked for two years and told them. Level playing field for the media, fair treatment for the opposition, free and fair elections, inadmissibility of postponement of elections for political reasons of yourselves. So there are eight triggers now we work on. And one of the things which I have started is I give them a tour d'horizon of where I see we are, what are my good offices that I'm working on, and then we work. There has to be daylight between SG's good offices and what CMAG does, but we work in parallel as well. For instance, in one case, we've agreed the delegation must go from CMAG. Um, so we're working very closely. CMAG of evolution has, in that sense, been very satisfactory, and this was welcomed by the heads. The third point I want to make is about uh, ComSec reform and renewal. This was the first shogun at a time when this had occurred and had been virtually completed. I very strongly believed that if you're not yourself a self-respecting organization, don't expect others to respect you. 
because that kind of dissonance just doesn't happen in life. Others will respect you if there's proof of respectability which you offer to them. I'm glad that financially we're all sound, the auditors can't find anything. I was telling Veronica her handbook has been virtually revised. We've done it in a way, very consultative way with the staff. We have a new strategic plan. We have a new staff structure. Uh, I just saw Sandy, haven't greeted her. But you know, some of the old divisions are gone. New ones are there. It's all very related to RBM, impact, results based management. What are we getting out of it? Um, and it was particularly uh, uh, welcome and gratifying. And I couldn't help, I'm sorry, showing off in my inaugural address to say that actually the Center for Administrative Law in a quiet, independent judgment of all global organizations of the world has come to the conclusion the Commonwealth Secretariat for Internal Justice is ranked number one. The European Union is ranked number two. IMF, OECD, all of them follow. We are number one. Last year, we were number six. The year before that, we were not in the frame. This is what we've achieved in two years' time. We've been told that your model of staff relationship is a model for others to follow. The SG's message, the SG's role, the transparency, the clarity, everything. The other thing we're very chuffed about is that we're also the global leaders in gender representation. There's no organization in the world that has more than 50% women in, uh, in the executive side and in the whole organization. The fourth point I want to make is, how do you make yourself contemporary? We have a celebrated convening power of the Commonwealth, but we've been expressing it in, in physical terms. Chogum, every two years, our ministerial meetings, governors, board of governors, but that's not adequate in the 21st century. We've made ourselves into a contemporary networking and digitalized bound organization. I have a motto, I have, I have a lot of silly lines in the organization. And one of this, round the world and round the clock. That's how convening power has to be expressed. And remember in the cyber world, one plus one doesn't make two. It makes 11. Because the nine is dormant. It arises when you're connected. We have Commonwealth. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I didn't draft that, <laughs> what you read out. I'm surprised the heads picked up Commonwealth Connects. But that's a huge platform which we created, and a hundred communities of practice of the Commonwealth are on it. We have what people are telling me is probably the leading electoral management network. It was launched in Ghana. When I took over, I said, this is it. There's something which I must digress. Uh, the Commonwealth, and I was just telling this to President Jonathan Goodluck yesterday, day before yesterday. I said it is the Commonwealth which is responsible for creating a no-go zone to military coups all across the world. The total unacceptability is because of the Commonwealth, because they said it in 95. 
He plays the Nova Sanjo and plays the Nembeki. And no one can recall who the other two were, who were the drivers in the NAPAD, in the New Partnership of Africa, that what we've done in the Commonwealth, we're going to do in Africa. Zero tolerance for this. If Africa did it, then Latin America couldn't say, it may be all very well for Africa, but I think we like our dictators and our military. It was not possible. Globally, it became unacceptable. I said, but the responsibility that accrues to you after this is, how do you make credible democracies? And if a shadow falls at the time of elections, then it follows over the legislatures, the committees that have been created, the legislation that is being done, and you cannot talk about the neutrality and the independence of your institutions. Therefore, you must become a global standard world leader as far as elections are concerned. And you can't do it unless you have a network. Because your people, your election commissions, get under tremendous pressure. But they must know I'm supported by 50 others following the same standards. And the leaders must know that as well. So this uh, is, is, is performing that function. You have an education network. I've spoken on these issues, by the way, entirely on these topics. On, uh, we have a health network. We have a climate change network. I'm making now a proposal to create an anti-radicalization network and how it should work for my, for my successor. So I'm glad that in Shogam it was appreciated by the people that both the organization and the way it works is in a different place. Adding global value was a theme of Chogum. This uh, Stuart will remember, I think he gave in the, in the 2009 exercise of the Round Table in Cumberland Lodge, adding the Cornwall as a global good. And is it or not? And that was, some, that was the first interview I, I gave totally unscripted. Someone just put a mic before me a few minutes after I was elected. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but one thing I'm going to ensure. I'll make sure the Commonwealth is not a boutique organization and that it's a great global good. <laughs> and since then, I said, well, I have to live up to it now. So I, thought, I told Prime Minister Muscat, he said, you know, we got to, because he had three or four months, I said, you're the host, you have to come up with a theme. He said, I still haven't, I'm working on it. I said, I have an idea for it. How about adding global value? Because it is high time that all the heads got up and said, this is what the Commonwealth is. It is a prototype of the world, a microcosm, and a template of the whole world. If we think the time has come for an idea, the time has come for the whole world, for that idea. And if you want to do big things, then you have to say that this is what we are. I'm profoundly grateful to Prime Minister Gordon Brown when I gave him this idea a few weeks into becoming SG. I said, if you chair a meeting, we'll have a special summit of heads. And 12 came. And the only purpose of that was to give the political signal that these are the values of inclusivity, fairness, transparency, equality of outcomes, and the indivisibility of the global society that the Commonwealth works for because you have to give it to me so that I can start working with the big boys. He said, I'll do it, actually. <laughs> and, and he did it. I gave him four big suggestions. He accepted all four. And I just want, in my last address, to put it on record 
of how grateful I am to him. And But I haven't, uh, I won't go into the other three, but they are very big ones too. Now the way we have added global value this time is we have a publication called Resilience, uh, called Adding Global Value, the same. Our concept of resilience and vulnerability has now been accepted globally. I was at a meeting when the Under Secretary General of the UN pointed to me halfway through this, oh by the way, the intellectual property for the, the vulnerability profiles and resilience profiles that the UN is making is with the Commonwealth. On debt, when we were there just the other day, the head of a division said, we completely agree with your basic point that the polarity in the world today is not between affluence and poverty, is between resilience and vulnerability. And I said, that when an overextended mortgage market in suburban America had the effect that the health and education budgets in St. Kitts and Nevis were devastated, you were in a different world. Because this degree of interdependence meant you have to have national support systems, regional ones, and global ones. No one can be allowed to be in a state of free fall. And the world has to safeguard it. And the Commonwealth watches out for the smaller players and actors of the world. It's interesting, when I, when I made the point that when the time has come for an idea, it's a good idea, how quickly it spreads, that the IMF believes in it, the World Bank believes in it, President Kim after meeting us said that I get organizations from all over the world which tell me what the problems are of the world which I know, but here's one organization which has come to tell me what the solutions can be. We gave him four ideas. And uh, this is what he said. And the IFC of the World Bank was a partner with us in making the trade finance facility work. And when I spoke to the IFC in Washington, this is a stunningly simple idea. But one thing bothers me about it. I said, what's that? He says, I've got hundreds of people working here. Why couldn't one of them have come up with this idea? I said, because you play with the big boys. That's the problem with the world. I don't. I work with the small ones. I know what the problems are. You don't even bother. That's how the green room effect in international politics works. You begin, multilateralism begins with everybody, it ends up with a few people, and some people are picking up the crumbs. And we know the danger of a world where you create even a slight vulnerability for yourself. It's like saying, I won't bother with a wart on my little finger, it poisons my blood. Does that any sense? In that, but in the world today, we see the many ways in which this is being done. Now, in, a, in, in, in the debt, our idea of counter-cyclical loans, uh, of resilience, you know, vulnerability, all of these have been accepted in principle. But on, on uh, climate change particularly, Ban Ki-moon, in this fund bank meeting, just now in Lima, the whole world was sitting there. The only organization he mentioned was the Commonwealth. Because our multilateral debt being offset against nature action plan is so rational and has all the elements in it, which makes the small country keen to work at it because if they do something in their currency, they can have their debt written off and their profile increases. 
together with the hub which we have created, Trade Finance Access. As I often say, everyone tells these small states there's so much money for adaptation and mitigation, but no one gave them the telephone number whom to talk to. There's this complete disconnection between what people talk about and what's happening on the ground. And I said we have a huge ethical problem as well because their contribution uh, to the world is, is zero carbon footprint. And they're the first who are going under. On trade, we have this uh, also adopted there in, in, in Shogam facility. It has been launched. Four countries have supported it. Com partners unlocking funds bilaterally, and the G20, which was mentioned once again by Stuart just now. Very simple idea. When it was created in Washington, I wrote to all the heads, all 20. I said, "Now you have a problem. How do you get known? Uh, your problem is that people think you're a glorified G7. <laughs> What's your solution?" But I think Francophonie and ourselves representing half of the world can come with the distillation. Trouble is that every time it's a different chair. The Sherpas are very hard-nosed people. We have to bring value every time we go there. But we do it. So I think this time when we went to Chogum, uh, Prime Minister Muscat realized when I'm saying added global value, these are not words. These are things which we are started doing. And this requires a political lift now for the whole world to see in that way. These are not secretarial initiatives merely. These are all high-level political uh, initiatives. The next point is about climate change. In Port of Spain, and this is the second of the, the, the favors that was done by Prime Minister Brown at that time, I said, you know, Copenhagen is shortly to take place. So how can we give it a global, inter global face? So we, we, we invited Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. He came. Uh, Prime Minister Rasmussen of Denmark. He came. Prime Minister Brown was very active in, in getting President Sarkozy of France to come, who came as well. And we came up with the product in that shogun. And when I invited Ban Ki-moon again for this shogun, he said, I'll come because I remember when I came to Port of Spain, the only result that came out of Chogum was what the Commonwealth had decided the week before. And that's what we are working on, which is create a fund, which is 10 billion a year, and in 10, in 10 years becomes 100 billion. So that's what came out of it. So I'll definitely come. And he came, and we have a, we have a document which is, has lots of new elements in it about loss and damage and how to compute it, about the political will and other, other features in it, but also attached to it is the, is the, is the nature action uh, swap idea within it. Um, the small states, I think, feel, and I think the world has recognized that as a champion of small states, there's no organization which is in the same league anywhere near the Commonwealth. Uh, and at supported by the fact that what we come out with are actually all practical ideas, not homilies. Because I like to say that we are a visionary organization. We stand tall, we see far, but we always hold toolkits in our hands. 
And these are all the toolkits. We're telling the world as to what the problems are. So we have started, uh, we've decided to create with Prime Minister Muscat's uh, great support, a small state center of excellence. We have one in Geneva and we have one in New York. The one in Geneva where I just took the plunge, there was no money for it, but we are getting support for it now, particularly in trade and human rights. It's doing very sterling work and independent judgment has, has demonstrated that it has become a kind of magnet in Geneva. People understand small states have issues too. And if you want to discuss them for equitable outcomes, that's the place you need to go. So the idea is to create a global point of magnet to the small state center of excellence. There are 12 very clearly defined things that the small state center is going to do. My next point is about forums. I've taken uh, the forums this time were differently organized. First of all, we had a women's forum which I applaud, so we have four. And this comes on, uh, on top of the special effort that we have given to a partnership with uh, the Commonwealth family. Uh, Stuart made an allusion to, to one of the things, but we have one whole-time person looking at the accredited organizations. We have one whole-time person looking at strategic partnerships with outsiders. And we have now a matrix as to what's happening with each, with each organization. We're prepared to do joint projects with them as long as they buy into the RBM uh, methodology. We've even had sessions with them of how they can raise money for themselves. And we've got outside speakers. And of course, as Stuart said, that on the big conferences, whether it's me or a DSG going, we make them part of a delegation to show there's no daylight between the service they are rendering, trying to render to the Commonwealth, and what the Secretariat is doing. This has lifted their own profile, and all of them said that we, within the civil society present, have, as a result, a very different standing. Um, so these forums have tried to make it more interactive. We try to have their results better known to the heads, Certainly in the initial instance, more time given uh, as far as the foreign ministers are concerned, and we're going to build on that. The youth are particularly uh, a promising area. We are pioneers in having a youth development index. We are pioneers in having a youth professionalization degree. Initially, initially with the University of West Indies, which has become an undergraduate degree. Because if a head is convinced by our talk that you need to do something for young people, where 60% of your population, someone has to answer the question, what exactly do I need to do? It has to become a professional field. The youth themselves have come up with 12 initiatives, including the youth group on climate change, and so on. And I, I told Sir John Major, I'd like to acknowledge his, his great assistance here. I said, we have the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Trust, and I hope that it will support all of these initiatives by the young people, and that will be the true legacy for Her Majesty going forward. And I think we are moving in that direction. And uh, uh, the Queen very, very graciously conceded to the request that Sir John Major may be, uh, may be able to speak at her banquet 
and to put this before the heads. So in this respect, I think also this Chogam was a, was a departure. Um, everything could not be discussed. So we've decided to set up a high-level review group. I told the heads at the retreat there are many issues on which one of the principles I followed is get the heads to ask the SG to do it. Don't The SG shouldn't be asking the heads. I spoke to my predecessors, I read their books, and this is a lesson I thought was a firm one. Don't try anything big unless it is an idea already from the heads. You are the implementing agency. You are not the originator of the idea and you're seeking the agreement of the head, which may or may not come. Which is why I said, we talk about this last showroom, but I see them all as a chain. I knew this would take four years because of the way it has to be done. All of these projects which I mentioned, I asked the heads in Colombo, do you agree that this should be done? We discussed it, they should actually do it. And then I did it. I didn't tell them, this is what I've done, please approve it. Because that's, and therefore the failure rate in any of the suggestion that goes to the heads is zero. It all goes through because that's where it comes from. But everything cannot be discussed. So I said, look, moving forward, there are several things we need to look at. One, secretariats, finances. Right now, we're talking big about where the Commonwealth needs to go, but we've been put on zero nominal growth, not even zero real growth, which means we're declining by 2% every year. And my successor will be presiding over a budget at the end of her term, which will be one-fifth less, just for this one reason. And so, you know, you have to look at it and say, this is what you want. On the pensions, it's never been borne by us, it's been borne by, by the member states. But if it goes on like this, I'll have to cut all of this work program. So that's on it. Profile building. This is, there's a lot of work to be done. I've started some work, but there's a lot of deficit in it. Um, and uh, I said, but you know, it has to work on at least three legs. One is help the family, publicize their work. Secretariat must do a very professional work, which we are beginning to do. But unless the heads come in, it is not going to work. Because that's where the credibility comes in. So when you speak in the UN, why don't you speak about the Commonwealth? Even if one third does it every time, it's big news globally. When you visit each other's countries, why don't you have a paragraph on the Commonwealth, two Commonwealth countries? When you have Commonwealth Day, why don't you take a decision that this day will be celebrated in the following different way, this time around? So speaking to all of them, they said, it's a no-brainer. You're ready to do it. I said, no, do it in a way in which everybody gets it. So this will be one of the items before the high-level group. The Commonwealth family, I know there are many people sitting here who feel more rationalization is required in it. What's an associated organization? What is the criterion? What is an accredited organization? Intergovernmental, I suppose, defines itself. What is the expectation from all of them? I've looked at some, I've mentioned some of the ways in which you try to lift this relationship. What more can be done? So that will be another item, the Commonwealth family. 
the CFTC on a declining trend. And this is not sustainable because we always say that we don't draw a distinction between governance and growth, between democracy and uh, development. But if you find that all of our initiatives are focusing more and more on governance, but your CFTC is declining, that's not a good Commonwealth message. To please discuss that. Um, further chogam, documentation, how should it be run, consensus, uh, a principle. One thing they agreed upon uh, at uh, uh, my pointing out to them the difficulties in doing chogam in November. I said I now have repeated experience, including this one. It's not a good time to hold your summit meeting. So much bunches up and overlaps that we should really do it in the earlier part of the year. So that's been decided. It will be done earlier. Just opens up the field much more for us. The UK next, Malaysia. Um, you'll be happy to know, Peter, that I'm, I'm now drawing to a close. Um, one very telltale sign of where this organization is a point some of you have heard me make before. The number of people outside who want to get in. The number now stands at definitely at eight and probably at nine. And the interesting thing is when you ask them, why is it you want to join, you don't get a very specific answer. You know, if I join the Commonwealth, I get the following kind of help. <laughs> they just seem to, it's very clear from what the way they're speaking. This is a quality organization, and I want to be a member. We've seen over past decades the contribution to global sanity, global rationality, the global value which this organization has made. This support is not just from the outside. For the first time over the last seven or eight years, you find member states queuing up to host children. It's never happened before. Three in a row, and once again three in a row. Vanuatu wants to do it. Vanuatu says, I have a storm, so I'll do it later. Someone else jumps in. The three in a row has become a norm. Surely, no better index of the credibility of an organization. The outsiders want to join. The insiders want to host. That the young people are enthusiastic about it. That the women are enthusiastic about it that the heads believe in it, what more do you want? Um, the other things I would like to speak about, but I'm very keen on LGBTI. It's advancement of the cause, the way in which it can be done. Child early and forced marriage, female genital mutilation, and all of this we are pursuing in the Secretariat and in the People's uh, uh, Forum also, all of these these were mentioned. The Commonwealth cannot shy away from the, uh, the, the condition of the most vulnerable of our citizens and what we need to do about it. One discussion we need not have is how do you strike the balance? Every SG has this dilemma. You know the dilemma I went through. But in the end, your, your biggest asset which you don't want to convert into a deficit is the trust. Many people used to come to me and say, oh, you should be doing this in this country. 
if you're doing saying this on this country, I say, well, all right, I see your point. Please keep on saying it because it helps me. It creates my agenda. Because you're saying it. It becomes an issue. Why are you saying that I must do the same thing? Why shouldn't I take advantage of what you're saying and get some progress on the ground if I can? So what do you mean? I said, look, um, are you within handshaking distance of the leadership? Probably not. Will anyone take your call? Probably not. You may not even get a visa. And will they listen to you? So I tell them, I have all of these assets. I have all of these assets. And I must make it clear, this is a Commonwealth concern. It's interesting when people say, but you haven't said, as a look at my statement. I started a practice of departure statements after each visit. These are two-page documents in which I am saying what I am doing, what needs to be done. You can do it without public embarrass embarrassment, but the member state knows that you're working with them, you've given them the signal, prepared to work with you. And, and I must say that there are, even in LGBTI, I just want to give one example, which is of Malawi, when I went told the president, the late uh, President Bingu, I said, I know, starting a public debate will probably put it back. He said, you know, you see what the problem is? Everyone was accepting it. And the evangelist churches from the West come and pour fuel over this fire. What he was saying was, some things are doable. We're not doing it by making the public huge issue in my country. I said, look, I spoke to the law ministers of the Commonwealth, and I made to them a very simple statement. I said, you have to look at the consistency between your domestic laws and one, your constitution, and two, your international conventions and treaties. As a law minister, you have an obligation to have coherence and consistency in your laws. So President Pingu said, that's the, that's the answer. That's the answer. You know what I'll do? I'll give it to my law commission. And if the law commission says what you're saying, uh, the cabinet is finished. The cabinet are going to accept it and they take it to the parliament. And I'm, this is what is happening there now. Now, so I think this is a great global good. Commonwealth, my successor will, I hope, keep on uh, working on that. I just want to say that the first thing I said to my own team, I know that Sandy was sitting there, uh, there's a Greek philosopher who, uh, who said, the fox knows many things. Always nosing around, rushing around, snooping. But the hedgehog, and moves all the time, hedgehog knows one big thing and doesn't have to move. As the Commonwealth has to be a hedgehog, and it has to be the fox. Thank you. <laughs>